0: Joining forces today with Talk Math with Your Friends. Um, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I co-host this podcast. Um, I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and this is your other host.
1: Hi, I'm Kevin Knutson, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, where it is boiling hot today, and I'm very happy to be uh, in this. Uh, uh, how would they put this on on TV? A crossover event. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So like I think I think last night on NBC on, on Wednesday nights, there's like all these shows that take place in Chicago, right? Like there's Chicago Med and Chicago PD and Chicago Fire, Chicago Uber, who knows what anyway. And um, sometimes they'll just merge them all into one three hour super show. Right. So here we go. This is this is the the, the math version of this. Right.
0: Yes. And I realized today that our very first episode of My Favorite Theorem, we published that in late July 2017. So this is our early third birthday. And we're so glad that people came to join us. Um, And we are very happy today to have our guest Annalisa Crinnell with us. Hi, Annalisa. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: So hi, my name is Annalisa Cornell. I profess mathematics at Franklin and Marshall College, which is in South Central Southeastern Pennsylvania. It's a small liberal arts college. Um, I got my PhD um, working in differential equations, partial differential equations, nonlinear differential equations, um, switched into discrete dynamical systems, topological dynamical systems. But for the past 10 or 15 years have been really thinking hard about um projective geometry applied to perspective art
1: that's quite and, the uh, odyssey
2: yeah i was really influenced by um by um paul halmos saying mm. that uh, one of the marks of a really good mathematician is that they can change fields and so um yeah i i feel like i'm trying to enjoy so many different aspects of what this what this profession allows us to do.
0: And a fun story, at least it was fun for me, uh, is that one time you were here in Utah giving a talk at BYU, which is down the street, um, and we went to an art gallery, and you pulled out your chopsticks and showed me how you use your chopsticks to uh, help you know where to stand to best appreciate art. And it was just so amazing to me that that was this thing that you could do so that was that was a lot of fun and I think I don't know it just to me sums up the Annalisa
2: experience (laughs) (laughs) thank you yeah summing I guess is a good thing for mathematicians I think everybody should carry chopsticks with them I mean it's right it's frugal it helps you avoid trash but it also helps you do really cool mathematics so what's what's not to love about them yeah
0: so what is your
2: favorite theorem So if you had asked me about five years ago, I would have said the Intermediate Value Theorem. But uh, today I am going to say, no, Desarg's Theorem. Um, So Desarg's Theorem first came into human knowledge in the 1640s, um, and it's It's a theorem that sounds like it's sort of about planar geometry, but I really think of it as being about perspective. So is this one I'm supposed to tell you what the theorem says? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay.
0: Should we all get out our, so this is one I feel like I always need like a piece of paper with, oh, I tried to hold it up, but I got a zoom background, Yeah. but I got my piece of paper out so I can
2: hopefully follow along at home. If you had a piece of paper or a chalkboard right behind you, (laughs) you could imagine, that you would have um, a triangle like standing up um, on a glass pane. And then on one side of this glass pane would be um, maybe a magician or somebody holding a light. Maybe your granddaughter drew the magician. Okay, for people in the podcast, I'm showing a picture that my granddaughter drew on the chalkboard. Um, (laughs) If this light (laughs) shines on the triangle, then it casts a shadow, and the shadow is also a triangle. Um, and so we say those two triangles are perspective from a point. The point is the light source, mm-hmm. um, and we say that because the individual corners, um, the corresponding corners, are collinear with the light source. So A and the shadow of A are collinear with a light, B and the shadow of B are collinear with a light. But it turns out that those shadows, the, the triangle and its shadow, are also perspective from a line. And what that means is um, that if you think not about the points on the triangles, but the three lines on the triangles, and you really think of them as lines, not line segments, so, like, mm-hmm. going on forever, um, then the corresponding lines will also intersect along a line. And you can think of that second line which we call the axis is like the intersection between the plane of glass that's sitting up in the air and the ground. So the interesting thing to me about Descartes' theorem is that it it pretends like it's a theorem about planar geometry because this theorem holds when the two triangles are both in the same plane in R2 or something. But the best ways of proving it, the most standard ways of proving it are, are using essentially perspective, going out into three dimensions and proving it for two completely different planes and then pushing them back down into the regular plane. And so to me, this is a really interesting example of sort of how art informs math rather than the other way around, or maybe that they both inform each other.
0: So, so going back a little bit, to me, what I've, I've looked at the theorem serum before I somehow there's this big conceptual leap to me between perspective from a point and perspective from a line perspective of a, from a point mean, like it seems really easy to think about and perspective from a line. I just have trouble getting it into my brain.
2: Yeah. It's, I, th- I do think perspective from a point is so much more intuitive. And so, so the, minorly intuitive, the, the somewhat intuitive way of thinking of this axis is you can sort of pretend like it's a hinge. So if these two triangles will sort of fold onto each other from the hinge, the triangle on the glass and the triangle on the ground um, can fold along this hinge, then their perspective from a line. So if you think about um, uh, uh, something that's in the real world, a flat thing in the real world, and its mirror image, then those two, it's hard to say whether they're perspective from a point, but the lines in the real world thing and the lines in the mirror will will intersect along the line where the mirror hits the ground. And um, so that's that's another way of thinking of this axis, hmm. sort of three-dimensionally.
1: So I want to think about this in projective space, which probably isn't. Correct, or maybe it is. I, I don't know. I mean, so, so these lines are points in projective space. Is this, is this how one might go at this? In some other. uh Oh. <laughs> yeah. I asked the wrong so, question. I'm sorry.
2: Um. So I'm. That's that's not exactly the way that I think of it because I think of the line as a line in projective space. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um so and the point is a point in projective space so the point comes from you could say from a, a, a one dimension, yeah. one dimensional line right. in our whatever mm-hmm. yeah okay sorry and so here's one of the interesting things about this this theorem and about me loving this theorem um i in 2011 one of my co-authors and i wrote a book on the mathematics of perspective art mm-hmm. and we used euclidean geometry all the way through we were giving a math-fest um, mini-course on this, and a young mathematician came up to us and said, "We just, I just love how you use um, projective geometry in art, because I learned projective geometry and felt like it had to have something to do with art, and you guys are the ones that explained to me how it does. Mm-hmm. And Mark and I turned to each other, and we like, what kind of geometry? So neither <laughs> of us had ever taken a projective geometry class, Neither of us had ever learned any projective geometry. We did not know that it existed. And so this young mathematician ended up changing our lives. We ended up working with her and really learning a bunch of projective geometry um, in order to come out with our most recent book, which came out last December, Um, and so when you ask questions that get into like really deep projective geometry, I'm like, oh, I have to write that one down because that's something else I have to go learn. Um, <laughs> so for those of you young mathematicians out there, I just want to say like learning new stuff and not knowing stuff is, is really so much fun. Don't be afraid of starting something new, even if you don't know it all.
0: And how did you first
2: encounter Desargues' theorem? Oh, man. So I first encountered De Sarg's theorem when um, Fumiko Futamura, this young mathematician, had convinced me I needed to learn it. So I um, bribed an undergraduate to go through Coxeter's projective geometry with me because it seemed like that was the standard book. And Coxeter is um, like the famous... Guy in this realm, and he is completely non-intuitive. Mm. So I found Descartes' theorem in there, and I'm like, I have no idea what this means. The notation is awful. The diagrams are awful. Everything about this is awful. And so I, I, I read through his book trying to say, what does this have to do with art? And that was a really fun way to to read it. So we just decided Descartes' theorem is about shadows.
0: Well, I've, I was wondering, um, so I remember you have also given a talk about squares that kind of blew my mind, where you, I guess the, the thesis of the talk is that all configurations of four points are a square if you look at it from the right way. Um, is, is the SARS theorem related to that theorem? I feel like when you said the word shadow, that is what, like, reminded me of that other
2: talk. Yeah, thank you. So that's really cool. So there's, um, so most of us know what the fundamental theorem of calculus says. Most of us know what the fundamental theorem of algebra says. Um, The fundamental theorem of projective geometry, in one sense, really ought to be Disarg's theorem. Um, So. So you can think about these triangles, these points, these lines as objects. For mathematicians, we care about verbs. So a verb is the function. So you can think of a perspective mapping as mapping one set of points and lines to another set of points and lines with this particular rule that says that corresponding points have to line up with the sun, which you call the center, and corresponding lines have to line up with the axis, this hinge. But there's other functions that take points to points and lines to lines. So we know in linear algebra, you can do this all the time. And and in linear algebra, sets of parallel lines go to other sets of parallel lines. But there's other kinds of functions that do this. They're called collineations. So the fundamental theorem of projective geometry says that if you have four points and their images, then the entire rest, and and you know that points go to points and lines go to lines, then the entire rest of the function is predetermined. We know that. Um, so, Dissarg's theorem says that um, that one kind of collineation is these perspective mappings, right? That just like a shadow or or mapping from the floor, this tiled floor onto your canvas through a window. Um, we know from linear algebra, there's these other affine transformations. And so one really cool theorem that I totally love is if you have something that's not a linear algebra one, that's not an affine transformation, then it's automatically a perspective transformation together with an isometry so you took a photograph and you moved it that's that's this notion that every single thing that you that you do with four points going to f- to four other points that determines a whole function so yeah so anytime you have four points connected by four lines even if they look like a bow tie or they look like this captain kirk star trek logo it turns out that's actually a weird perspective image of a square moved around somewhere, mm-hmm.
0: and you just have to figure out where you should stand to see it as a square. Yes, exactly.
1: Are, are, are you it's so cool? Are you guaranteed to be able to? I mean, so so if it's on the wall, say, is, is is there? Do you have to like lift up into a third dimension to be able to see it correctly?
2: So so no um, so one of the weird things that happens is if you have a bow tie, you, we sort of think of like. A bow tie is that the inside of the bow tie. You would imagine that has to go to the inside of the square, mm. and um, that is not actually the way it happens. So let's mm-hmm. let's think about something that's much more um, familiar to us. Can you map a circle through perspective into other weird shapes like an ellipse? Well, sure you can. So imagine that you've got. Um, lampshade, and you've got a circular lampshade, and the shadow that it projects onto the wall is actually a hyperbola, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We know that. And the light from the inside of the shadow goes to the part of the hyperbola that goes off towards infinity. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have the bow tie, um, think about the area like outside of the X as almost a hyperbola, so this is when it would be so wonderful if I could actually draw pictures, but it's a podcast. <laughs> so um, on, the, on the bow tie, there's two sides that are parallel to each other. And then there's this weird X in mm-hmm, the middle. Mm-hmm. The parallel sides extend them out towards infinity from the, the bow tie. Okay. Right. That turns out to be like the, where the square goes. So if you had a square lampshade, it would cast a shadow that would look like this outside of the bow tie. Okay, so. In the same way that a circular lampshade casts a shadow that looks like the outside of the hyperbola, mm. the U the U shape of the hyperbola.
1: Okay, my desk lamp is a rectangle, and I'm trying to, I'm trying yeah. to see if it's casting the right <laughs> sort of <laughs> shadow here. But I don't. Yeah,
0: some experiments <laughs> you can do later. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's. I feel like it's this expand your mind on what a square is kind of idea. Um, Got to get so, rid of those know, old
1: ideas, man.
0: Yeah, I know that we we traveled a little bit from Desargues theorem, and I want to give you a chance to to circle back and um, or square you know, say, back or square back or uh,
3: projectively <laughs> bow tie
0: back to uh, Desargues
2: theorem. And um, I guess what what do you love so much about it? Um, so what do I love so much about de Sarg's theorem? I, so one of the things that I love is that it really tightly connects um, mathematics informing art and art informing mathematics. So if you ever got it, so Desarges himself, we don't know if he actually wrote this up and published it. We don't have a copy of his original manuscript. We do have something that came out from one of his sort of acolytes, one of his followers, a guy named Bossé. And if you look at boss, okay, so to draw De Sarg's diagram, you need 10 points, um, the three on the first triangle, the three on the second triangle, the sun, that gives you seven, and then the three along the axis.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You also need 10 lines, the three on the triangle, the three on the other triangle, the three light rays, that gives you nine, and then the axis. When Bosse first published his diagram, his diagram was incomprehensible. It had twenty lines and fourteen points, and it was just really a mess. And it was hard to even figure out where the heck the triangles were. Yeah, I
1: don't see them. And he
2: ended up proving this not using sort of standard geometry, using using numerical stuff called cross ratios. Mm. Um, but the proofs that sort of make the most sense that are convincing are proofs that allow us to think about things in three dimensions and use art. So that's one of the cool things is that actually drawing, if, if you go and you shade in Bossé's diagram the, in, a, in a cool artistic way, all of a sudden it sort of pops into 3D and you can see it, but his original diagram, not so much. Um, The same is true of a lot of different proofs. If you try to imagine them as three-dimensional, if you draw them as three-dimensional, the proof becomes more obvious. But also, Desargues' theorem is actually useful for artists, because if you want to draw the shadow of something, if you want to draw the shadow of a kite, if you want to draw reflection, shadows and reflections, they are projections so projective geometry and like how do you know how to draw this you have to use the fact that the shadow or the reflection or this this projective image however you've made it is perspective from a point and perspective from a line so you're constantly using disarge's theorem to draw these images of images within your image and um yeah it just becomes so incredibly useful
1: so my my wife's an artist, but I can't imagine that she would use this, right? I mean so so I mean, if, if you walked up to a typical artist, are they going to say, Oh yeah, I use the Zarg's theorem all the time? Or is it just or is this sort of an intuitive thing where, where people who are very good at drawing in perspective can just kind of naturally draw it that way?
2: Oh, yeah. So the truth is that de Sarg's theorem has really only pretty much been used by mathematicians sure. and occasionally misused by mathematicians. There's um, a description in a book by a guy named Dan Pedo of de Sarg's theorem to draw the, the image of a um, pentagon on the top of a square, and he just completely gets it wrong. And Mark, and I think that's Hilarious! This is, book has been reproduced gazillions of times. Anyway, um, so no, actually, artists are inc- have this incredible skill. One time, um, we we had asked mathematicians and artists at one of our workshops to try to divide the image of a flag into three equal pieces perspectively so imagine you're drawing the italian flag going back into the distance Mm -hmm. right how do you do this in the real world this there's the three bars are evenly spaced but in perspective they're not and the artist stood up and said well you just eyeball it you just put them here and (laughs) i was horrified this is not a proof this is not correct and my colleague mark said Okay, this is good, but for those of us who can't just eyeball it, let's see if we can come up with a construction. And um, eventually somebody did. They came up with a really cool geometric construction. And Mark had them put this up over the artist's solution, and it was spot on. Mm. Um, I, as a mathematician, I decided to go take an art class, and one of the things we were supposed to do was to draw... um, cans. And so the top of a can is circular. And so the image was going to be like an ellipse. And I could not get the proportions right. Like my ellipses were so awful. (laughs) So um, I would say that desargs is an incredibly useful tool for drawing things that look very accurate for people who do not know art, but who are good at math. (laughs) Right. That's a really long answer to your question. Yeah, artists don't tend to use it, but it really is um a useful thing for drawing things that look correct.
0: Cool. Mhm. Right. And you've incorporated this into a a class that you teach to help people. I, I I don't know if the purpose of the class is so much it is more math or more like perspective drawing, but it seems like an interesting mix.
2: Yeah, we have a we have a course called perspective and projective geometry. We actually have a book that's um, come out that has DeSarge's theorem right on the cover up there, and um, it's it's aimed at the sort of the intro to proofs level, so it really teaches students to make conjectures about what they're seeing in the world, and then to try to prove those conjectures, but also to try to draw, so it's actually sort of an applied course, so they the, the students um when, they're introdu- when we introduce them to Dissarg's theorem, they're actually drawing the shadow of the letter A and then discovering the Disarg's theorem and then proving it using many colors and, yeah, lots of cool lines. So it's right. so much fun. It's a course that really attracts um, a very unusual swath of students. Um, they all are students who love math. Um, and who are art curious, almost none of them are good at art. Um, but it's, but I tend to get more women than men in the class. I have often had um, my class being highly diverse in terms of races and ethnicities. And so for me, it's a fun class. I didn't, I didn't do it just for the sake of promoting diversity in the math major, but it sort of unintentionally has done that. And that's a really good feeling.
1: Very cool. Neat. So another thing we like to do on this podcast is ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So what pairs well with the uh, theorem?
2: Yeah, so I, I think I already hinted at this. So anything that you can eat with chopsticks goes really well with the Dzarg's theorem because chopsticks allow you to um, have wonderful food and do math at the same time. And what could be better?
1: So, so basically anything we... you can eat then, right? You can eat anything with chopsticks, right?
2: Uh um Soup is a little bit tricky, but yes, <laughs> yeah. But you drink the yeah. soup, right? They, you
1: know, they they give you the chopsticks. You, you've had ramen, exactly. right? There's the chopsticks yes. for the noodles. Yes. And yes. It. Right. exactly. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Do you have a favorite food to eat with chopsticks? Oh my goodness! um Pretty much everything. I was just realizing ice cream is not so easy with chopsticks. Yeah, um, it, I love it's eating ice enough. cream. Yeah. I think yesterday was National Ice Cream Day. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I take my chopsticks with me in my in my planner bag, and mm-hmm. I um, I add a spoon. And so when I go to restaurants, if they try to give me plastic things, I use my chopsticks. So basically, um, yes, anything I can eat with chopsticks, I will eat with chopsticks. Mm-hmm. And then if I can't, I'll use my spoon. Yeah, nice.
1: See, see, we're getting Thai takeout tonight, so this is um, I'm I'm no now, <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm really excited. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, i to your house. Uh,
1: <laughs> sure, come on down. Although I, you know, with all the COVID, I don't think Florida is really a place you want to be coming these days. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. So, I guess this would be a good time to uh, open the floor to questions. So, I, Brian, I, I was thinking that I would be able to keep an eye on it, and I totally couldn't. So, I'm glad that you were <laughs> keeping an eye on it. So, do you have any questions that you'd like? To, uh that our listeners would like to ask Annalisa.
3: I've noticed three so far. Um, one is from Joshua Holden. Um, would Sark's theorem be useful for computer graphics?
2: That's a really good question. If I knew anything about computer graphics, um, I'm I would. I would be able to answer that better. I do know that my students who have gone on into computer engineering tell me that the course that I offered on projective geometry was one of their most useful courses. This idea of ray tracing was was super, super helpful. Mm. So I don't know if Dissarg's theorem itself is specifically useful, but the, the idea of projective geometry is certainly um, how we understand the the world through videos.
3: Uh, we got a request from Doug Burbrower asking for you to hold up the line drawing um, while I ask the next one. Um, I was wondering, so when we're talking about triangles, we have these vertices that are special points. Um, How does this idea translate when you're talking about, say, like shadows of more complicated objects that might be smooth? You talked a little about circles, but um, is there anything special that happens when you generalize beyond polygons?
2: Um, So yeah, so one of the things that makes triangles really awesome is the same reason why triangular stools are so useful is they, they're always stable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a four-legged stool can wobble. If, if you try to draw the perspective image of a, an object with four points, like a kite, it's really easy to make it be perspective from a, uh, the sun without being perspective from a line. And if you do something like that, it'll look like maybe the kite is planar, But the shadow is curved, which might make sense on on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, So in some ways, it's saying triangles really determine planes. Um, Yeah. Um, The question of drawing other curves is really interesting because of how you do or don't define curves in projective geometry. So one way you could think of a curve is a collection of points. You could also think of it as a collection of tangent lines. And so the I think a way to generalize Desarg's theorem to those would be to be talking about those collections of points and those collections of tangent lines.
3: And then the third one that got uh, some answers in the chat was, I have a sense that like parallel things that when they're perspective from a point, that means the point's at infinity when you were talking about projective geometry. um, Is there geometric intuition about what it means for the line, perspective from a line, for that line to be at at infinity? And TJ suggested it was that the the objects are translations of each other.
2: Yeah, so um, yes. So if the line is at at infinity, then either, either you could think of this as being translations, or you could think of it as being a dilation. Um, and, and so it's a translation if both the axis where the two triangles meet is infinity and the center, that is what, how you shine from one to another is also off at infinity. Um, and they're a dilation if the axis is off at infinity, but the center is a, what we call an ordinary point.
1: This is, this is new for us having a Q and I mean, it's usually just the three yeah. of us, right? You know, me and Evelyn and whoever uh, we're, we're interviewing, but, uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is fun. I like this interactive. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. I like that. And uh, people have good questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Great, thanks. Um, are there any more questions from uh, the chat that we want to get to? Okay, it looks like I'm seeing no. So I think um, this will sort of wrap up the... Oh, Brian, yeah.
3: <laughs> A new one just disappeared. Do cylindrical polar coordinates throw any light on this?
2: Oh, so I was just about to say to everybody, thank you so much for asking me the questions that I actually know the answers to. And this one, up, oh, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> anything about cylindrical polar coordinates. Sorry. Now I'm going to write that one down and go check it out. But we can all appreciate the throwing light
0: phrase of yes. the question. Uh, um, that was very well done. Thank you. Yeah,
1: clever. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so to wrap up the podcast portion of this, um, or, or the, the episode with Annalisa portion of this, um, we will have show notes that are available. Our podcast listeners probably know where to find that at Kevin's website. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that, we'll include a link to your website, a link to the books that you have. Do you want to say the titles of the books that you've written that
2: people might be interested in? So the first one, the one from 2011, is called Viewpoints. Um, with a subtitle, Mathematical Perspective and Fractal Geometry in Art. And that's suitable for um, for like a first-year seminar in mm. math and art. Um, okay. So students don't need to really know anything at all about mathematics. And then the other one is called Perspective and Projective Geometry, and it came out in 2019. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for joining us, Annalisa, and for
0: doing it in this uh, different, fun format.
2: I'm really flattered yeah, that you. you invited me to do this. It, uh, um, yeah, it's been so much fun trying to think about how to do this without drawing gazillions of pictures. I appreciate the <laughs> yeah. challenge. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: thanks so much. Thanks for listening to my favorite theorem, hosted by Kevin Knutson and Evelyn. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bauchan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nosdunk. That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.